I got married here. Um, my husband is British, and you I'm know. so sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host, Oscar Fuchs. Thank you very much for all your feedback from last week's premiere episode of the season with the Chief Consumer Officer of L'Oreal China, Stefan Wiemet. It's great to be back, and especially with such a thoughtful and thought-provoking conversation. Please join that conversation by following us on Instagram or Facebook, or by joining the WeChat group. In all three cases, you can find us at Mosaic of China. And a special thanks to everyone who subscribed to the longer premium episodes on Patreon, including Jeremy Bivol, Vinny Apicella, Anthony, Peter Arkell, and David Rempel. Today's chat is with Jamie Barris, who gets introduced right up front. But before we start, a quick warning: at times Jamie speaks very fast, and I often mirror her energy and speak very fast right back. So if English isn't your first language, I would definitely recommend following the transcript of the conversation on MosaicofChina.com. And please keep listening until the end, where I'll share details of a special discount code available to listeners of the show. Jamie, thank you so much. How this came about was this introduction. My friend Jamie Barris, who runs Untour, with her business partner Kyle, they basically give you a really awesome tour of the best street food in Shanghai or Beijing. They also partner, I think, in various other cities across China. And as someone who loves food and especially street food, it's they just do a really good job. They give you on the tours. They give you a ton of really cool information about Shanghai, about the food you're eating. It's not only satisfying for your tummy, but also for your brain. Tell me about your friendship with Lexi. How do you know oh, her? I have known Lexi since she first moved to Shanghai. She was interning and needed a place to stay, and somehow got hooked up with a couple of my friends who had an extra bedroom. And she started her cookie business in that apartment using the IE that I still use today. Like,、no. Yeah, and so there's pictures of my IE on her website doing her like first batches of cookies. But she is just one of those pure, wonderful human beings that you just want to spend all your time around. Well, before we go into more about your story,、mm-hmm. why don't you show me the object that you've bought, which in some way epitomizes your life in China? So I wanted to bring a snack because Chinese food is my life, and <laughs> the thing about Chinese food is it's really hard to find something that's portable and really good because everything is made fresh in front of you, and it's、um, best to eat right then. It's messy, right? Yeah, but in a good way. And so I brought a dessert, which is called a laopolbing, which is sometimes translated as sweetheart cake or wife cake, but it's a very traditional Chinese dessert. A lot of desserts you get in China are. The product of colonialism, but this is a traditional Chinese dessert、um, that originated at the end of the Yuan Dynasty, so late 1300s, right before the Ming started. There are so many legends about how this thing got started, this pastry. One of them is that there was the wife of a general for the rebels against the Yuan Emperor,、um, made them so that it was easier for the soldiers to have a quick snack. Um, but then there's a lot of really romantic stories, and that's where you get sweetheart cake from. Where this man, his father was really sick, and his wife ended up selling herself into slavery, and then he created this cake and sold a lot of them until he could buy her out of slavery. Or there's another version where he goes to like a dim sum house and he eats this bing, and he's like, "I know my wife is in the kitchen because this tastes exactly like her bing." And so every Chinese dish, I feel like, has this crazy story behind it, and also it's delicious. It's got winter melon in the middle. 
What? Okay, I've had all kinds of bing, and I've never even heard of Lao Por Bing. Okay, we will now have a commercial break <laughs> where I will eat one. So I, I love winter melon. It's just, you don't really see it outside of China very often. It's very good. It's so dense. Like, yeah. I can't imagine eating the whole thing. No, so usually you would cut it up, kind of like a pie. You would have it with tea and other sort of pastries and things like that. When it comes to dessert, you were saying a lot of desserts have this colonial shadow. What did you mean by that? I mean, what we consider dessert in the West is not necessarily considered a dessert in China. A lot of times if you order a sweet dish at a restaurant, it just comes in the middle of the meal. It's not going to come at the end of the meal. Fruit is often consumed at the end of the meal. Um, and you do have some desserts, but the idea of a dessert culture really, a lot of that came through the Portuguese and the British um, who colonized Macau and Hong Kong, respectively. And so do you know the history of the dessert in the West? Yeah, well, a lot of desserts are baked, and baking is not something that was native to China. Um, you would see things that came along the Silk Road from India where things are cooked inside sort of a kiln, and that's a, a flatbread. But actually having like an oven is not something even today. You know, I moved into the first apartment I've ever lived in in China that has an oven this weekend. And I've been here 13 years. And so when the when there was colonization, a lot of these things were brought over. A lot of times they were given a local twist. So you'll see, you know, even Hong Kong milk tea that comes from the British. You would not put dairy products in tea in China, typically. Fascinating. Yeah. And so when it comes to this particular being, yeah. so you were saying the story about the Yuan dynasty. And of mm -hmm. course, the Yuan dynasty, they were actually the Mongols, weren't right. they? Right. Yeah. So is there a kind of nationalist element to this being? Like this was, you know... Fed the troops so we could overthrow our foreign conquerors thing, definitely. And you have that with a lot of different, you know, like mooncakes and things like that. Supposedly, there were messages snuck into the mooncakes that then people knew when to rebel. It's like I always say on our tours whenever we're introducing this, you know, grains of salt, there are usually about three different legends behind every dish. So um, you never know how accurate they are, but they're all super fun. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the tour. So now it's a good juncture for us to talk about <laughs> what it is that you do here in China. Yeah. So I am the chief eating officer of Untour Food Tours. Untour Food Tours. Yes, that's correct. Okay. What's that then? So we wanted to show foreigners who are visiting China how wonderful Chinese cuisine is. Um, a lot of times there's such a language barrier and just a cultural barrier. People don't feel comfortable going out and just trying a lot of these hole-in-the-wall places that are where some of the best food in China comes from. So we wanted to bridge that gap and just showcase how amazing the food of China can be, the sheer variety of it, because so many people have only had Cantonese food, and they think that is Chinese food because you have most of the Chinatowns around the world. Cantonese is the language that everyone speaks, and most people are from either Hong Kong or Guangdong area. starting to change now. You're getting a lot more Mandarin in Chinatowns around the world. But you're still not seeing a lot of very authentic Yunnan cuisine or Sichuan. Yeah, this is obviously where all of this wealth of information comes from. I mean, how did that arise? What's the story? Yeah, so uh, my business partner at the time, Kyle, he had just left Shanghai and gone to Germany to go to business school. And I was still in Shanghai writing about food. So I was a food writer for a while. Um, so I was working there. And when he came back... He said, I really want to start a business. And I said, well, I kind of have this idea of food tours. At that point, food tours were still a really young industry. There weren't that many around the world. And now you go to any city and there's at least three companies doing something like that. And so we started it um, December 1st, 2010. 
and I went full-time with it in February 2012. So it took about 14 months for it to be able to support both me and Kyle. And then after that, it just it just grew so much. We got in the New York Times and The Guardian and all these big papers, and it just blew up, and we expanded a lot. So is Kyle still around in the business? So unfortunately, Kyle got stuck out, and um, he had been considering leaving China um, anyway, his husband had been here for, oh God, like 20 years. Uh, they left um, when COVID kicked off in Shanghai and then ended up getting stuck out. And so they've decided to leave China. And no goodbyes, right? I know. It's so sad. Yeah. It's hard for me to read into what he is thinking, but at least with you still around, there's continuity. Like He knows that it's going to be a new phase for this baby moving on, right? Yeah, we're definitely in a new phase, not having any foreign tourists. So it's been an interesting change of pace for us. Well, let's talk about that then. So I don't want this podcast to be too COVID heavy, but the, the fact remains that lives are different after COVID. Yeah, I would say before COVID, 90% of our, our target audience was foreigners who were visiting China. So um, we were closed all through Feb and we were able to relaunch in Shanghai towards the end of March. But we have really shifted gears and, you know, obviously all of our marketing and BD is now focused on the people who are here, the captive audience that we have, which is small but very active, which is great. But once I got out of quarantine, I realized that everyone just wanted to booze. So we launched um, a speakeasy tour. And it's been super popular. We launched that in May um, with expats. And so we do a cocktail mixing class to start. And then we go to one of our favorite hidden noodle shops. And then after that, we go to two more speakeasies. And we also get food at another stop. But I am pregnant, so I can't drink cocktails at the moment. Mazel tov. Thank you. And I don't know when this is going to be released. It could be months. So (laughs) that baby could be talking by the time this comes out. (laughs) If the baby has already been born and has a name, I'll make sure to include that at the end of this episode. Oh, great. Let's go back to the food thing. So what are the basic conceptual differences between street food here in China versus elsewhere? Yeah. So street food, unfortunately, is not as prominent as it once was in China. When we first started, a lot of our tours were street food focused, but we've had to change a lot of that over the years as night markets have been shut down and a lot of our street food vendors have been closed. So we just try and support locally owned, family owned businesses that are kind of, I guess you could call them hole in the walls or holes in the wall, but they're fantastic and it's where some of the best food is. Tell me about who these people are. Like people who go to street food, they don't really think about actually who they're dealing with. So who are these people? Oh, I love my vendors. I think that's probably one of my favorite parts of my job. For our, our wedding, I got married here. Um, my husband is British. and you I'm know. so sorry. <laughs> and since we were going to get married in Shanghai, I said at least half of the food has to be for my street food vendors. So we had a la mian vendor, like a pulled noodle, a xiaolongbao vendor, um, and a jianbing vendor. So, you know, a lot of our, it's it's nice introducing this really cool food than these people that were a big part of my life to my friends and family at the wedding. Amazing. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that you also have an offshoot in Beijing. Mm, Yes. What is the difference then between what you'd say is the street food culture of Shanghai and Beijing, or is it more or less the same? Yeah. So, I mean, on our, our tour specifically, Beijing and Shanghai, we do a breakfast tour and a dinner tour. 
But if you compare our dinner tours, Beijing, we really focus on what we call like lao Beijing cuisine, so old Beijing food. So we have like the Mongolian style hot pot. We get these amazing chuar chicken wings that are hidden in a hutong in Dongcheng. It's they're amazing. And I like the way you did your R just there. <laughs> yeah, you got a chuar. Yeah, these uh, these really interesting foods. Donkey burger. Whereas in Shanghai, our nighttime tour, we made a conscious decision not to focus entirely on Shanghainese cuisine. Going to five different Shanghainese stops is a lot of Shanghainese food, which can be a lot of foreigners consider it a little too sweet, a little too oily. So we actually decided to focus on the fact that Shanghai is the economic capital. It's kind of the New York of of China, and so you can get amazing food from all over the country without actually leaving the city limits. Well, that is the perfect excuse now for me to ask you about this diversity. So tell me about Chinese food in general, then. Yeah, so we have. So much fun regional diversity in Shanghai because you have these migrants from all over the country who bring their local dishes. And so, you know, when you try and tell foreigners that goat cheese is a Chinese dish, they're like, "Wait, what?" And you start to explain the geography of Yunnan and how up in the north part of Yunnan you get amazing mushrooms and goat cheese, and then you go down at the south and where it's close to、uh, Myanmar or Burma and Thailand and things, and you get like a tea leaf salad、um, and these really interesting. Spicy flavors that are very Southeast Asian to a lot of palates, but are actually very Chinese as well. So we we do Yunnan food. We hit up a Ningbo restaurant, which is a lot of seafood. We also,、uh, of course, have Sichuan because that's my favorite. I love Sichuan food. Sichuan is the one that everyone will know, right? With the famous peppercorns. Yes, the Sichuan peppercorns. Yeah. What are the dishes of Sichuan that people might not have heard of? Well, we do、um, for people who would like to try it on our tour. We do not force this on anyone, but if anyone would like to try rabbit's head, it is a very popular dish in Chengdu in Sichuan, and it's very spicy. They actually, it's interesting if you look at where a lot of the rabbit's heads come from. A lot of them are from France and Italy because they eat rabbit meat, but they don't actually eat the heads. So, like seventy to eighty percent of the rabbit's head eaten in China is imported. I can just imagine opening a、yeah. case of rabbit's head. Yeah, we keep most of our dishes very much well within people's comfort zone, but we do like to stretch people a little bit if they're interested. We never force it on anyone. But I think a lot of times people look at Sichuan food and they think, oh, the dandan noodles, which are very famous, or mapo tofu, which are delicious, and I love them. But if you delve deep into The snack culture of Sichuan, and try all the different noodles. You are going to find so many that are so much better than Don Don. Like Ebin Ramen、uh, comes from a city Ebin.、Uh, it's called Kindling Noodles. They're amazing. We eat those on our tour. My favorite type of noodle from Sichuan is a Wanza、uh, Mian, which is a cowpea. It kind of looks like a chickpea, like a subtle chickpea. I eat those all the time. Wow, there's already a lot of noodles out there that I don't know of. In that case. When you talk about the rabbit head, going back, because I still can't get that out of my head. Is、yeah. it just? It's just the cheek, I guess. Yes, you eat the cheek. You can、But、eat it, other parts of it as well. Really? And、yeah. what do you see the head in the thing? It's already been. No, no, no! You get a whole head. You get the head. Yeah, you get to like break into it and get all the meat out. We show you how to get to all the best morsels. <laughs> We're also launching a vegan tour. <laughs> <Yeah> . <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to, you know, we we、uh, we offer options for everyone. So people who don't want rabbit's head, we also have different things that appeal to them as well. 
this is where it's interesting because you do have to deal with the food, you have to deal with your vendors, but then you've got to deal with your guests. There's a lot of human interactions there and with humans comes unpredictability. Mm. <laughs> I'm guessing you have a few stories where there have been some tours that have gone slightly awry. Uh, what are the ones that stick to your mind? I think we're really lucky in that our guests are super self-selecting. So it's people who are already visiting China, so they're a little bit more adventurous, and then people who want to eat local food. So 99% of our guests are really easy to get along with and really just there to learn and to eat and to enjoy themselves. You do occasionally get someone who's been brought along by a spouse or a family member who is just not having it. And they are not interested in learning anything about Chinese food, and they can be a bit difficult. I had one guy on a tour who, what did he say? I think it was we got to the Xiaolongbao stop on the tour, and he uh, took a bite of it, and he was just like, mm, well, that's an acquired taste. And one of the other guests, I think, had just had enough and turned around to him and goes, an acquired taste. It is literally like a noodle wrapper around pork. Like, what do you need to acquire about that? It's delicious. And I was like, thank you so much. But, like, of course, I couldn't say anything. We do have, um, you know, the occasional person who gets absolutely wasted. Um, we had a university come on our tour with a bunch of students, and the organizer got so drunk that we had to cut them off. They loved Baijiu, and so they drank a lot of it, and the students had to end up taking them home. <laughs> so but that doesn't happen very often. People are usually great. Nice. And finally, why the name? So it's on tours, right? Yeah. So when Kyle and I first started the company, all of the tour groups in China were matching hats, umbrellas, you know, big tour buses. Our groups are really small. It's designed to feel like you're at dinner or having lunch with a friend, just a friend who happens to know a lot about Chinese food. And uh, we want it to be the opposite of that. So an untour. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for that. You're welcome. And is there one dish that you would say is the best? It's impossible. Uh, I feel like if you named a region, I could pick one. But I, I think the thing that I eat the most is is wonton Thank you. We'll move on now to part two. Okay. What is your favorite China-related fact? Okay. So this one's about Sichuan peppercorn. Sichuan peppercorn actually gives you paresthesia in your mouth. So it feels like your tongue and your lips are vibrating, which is cool in and of itself. But they've actually done studies to see at what frequency it's vibrating. And it turns out it's 50 hertz, which is the same frequency as the Shanghai power grid. Yeah, that's a crazy fact. I know. I just love those Sichuan peppercorns. I do too. Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? Yes. So my favorite word or phrase is chuchungla, which a lot of times when people want to say that they're full, they'll say chibala. Right. But I have found, especially when I'm working with my vendors and things like that, we oftentimes are doing tastings at a lot of different places. And if I don't finish what they put in front of me, I can offend them. But I can usually get out of it really easily because I used to be like, Chabala, Chabala. And they'd be like, oh, just have a little more. And then I found out about Chuchungla, which is like, I have eaten so much, it is coming out of me. Like, it is, <laughs> I am so full. It is up to my neck. I cannot put anything else. And they, it's not very commonly used. And so they just crack up and they're like, okay, that's fine. And so it kind of gets me out of a lot of things where I'm like, I literally can't eat anymore. Please stop feeding me. 
That's brilliant. I know. Chichangla. Okay. Yeah. I am full to the point of bursting. I love it. What is your favorite destination within China? Oh, there's so many good places. It's hard to to pick one, but my most favorite place that I've gone recently would be Ningxia. Oh. And I went out there with a couple of my girlfriends to wine country. And we had amazing food, amazing wine, just the most hospitable people. You know, it's funny because people are always like, oh, Shanghainese people are so mean. And I'm like, they're not. They're lovely. And then you go to Ningxia and you're like, oh, maybe in comparison because they're just so welcoming and so friendly. And Ningxia, so I didn't know much about it, but it is a province up there in the north near Gansu. And it's quite Muslim up there, is it? Or Yeah, it's, it's a Hui autonomous region. Right. If you left China, what would be the thing that you missed the most and what would you miss the least? Food, 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 food. <laughs> Sichuan noodles, in. I just, that would be so hard. What about anything that you wouldn't miss? That's tough because I feel like that's a coin that has two sides whenever it happens. You know, like a lot of times, you know, I'll take the subway and get pushed around and jostled around a little bit and it's really annoying. But then I go to a wet market and then... a 85-year-old woman shoves me out of the way because I'm standing in front of the daikon radish that she really wants, and that just tickles me. So there's things that annoy me in the moment, but then on the flip side, if you understand why it's happening, it just you can get over it really easily. Yeah. Is there anything that still surprises you about life in China? Expats who just have not even remotely invested in China and not, you know, they live here, they've lived here for years. So I met a woman who had lived here for 13 years the other day, she had never tried Jenbing. <laughs> what? Yeah. I was like, okay, first of all, let me change your life because it is the best breakfast food in the world. But also just what have you been doing for 13 years that you've never had the opportunity to try Jenbing? She was such a nice person. So lovely. So great. But yeah. And it just shows you how that first step can be so hard. Like you might have walked past the Jenbing maker and just thought, oh, it's so intimidating to try and ask that person. Like, good for her for having been here 13 years, but then having that first step with you. Yeah. This is going to be a hard one for you. What's your favorite place to eat or drink or hang out? I love the holes in the wall. Um, and the mom and pop owned places, but those are not places you can hang out because a lot of times they don't have AC or heat um, and they rely on fast turnover. So the longer you sit at their table, the less money they're making. So it's not cool to just sit and hang out. So if I'm going to go hang out somewhere, I would say um, Heritage by Madison Austin's place is just the best. I absolutely love it. Very good. What about the best or worst purchase you've made in China? It's kind of boring, but I love it. Um, I got a Japanese reverse osmosis water subscription. I hate the giant plastic, you know, water tong dispensers in Mm. the house. I feel like it's just very distracting and I cannot deal with buying lots of plastic water bottles. I just feel way too guilty and I think that's horrible for the environment. Um, so we got that installed a couple of years ago and it has been fantastic. And then I also got a soda stream. I have free flow bubbly water in my house. (laughs) It's so good. Uh, very good. What is your favorite WeChat sticker? My Beijing guides are really tech savvy, and I still don't know how to make my own WeChat stickers, but they have made several for me. My favorite one that they made is my husband came to a team building dinner, and they just took a couple pictures of him and made it into a GIF, and it just says in Chinese underneath it, Gao Fu Shui, so like tall, rich, and handsome. <laughs> I don't send it to people, but I just love it. And um, 
one of our, our former operations managers, she just moved back to the States. She got hired to be in a commercial for a learning English company. And she was a robot that killed people with her laser eyes. She has this crazy robot wig. It's so great. <laughs> wow. What's your go-to song to sing at KTV? Oh, I'm such a bad singer. It is so embarrassing. Um, it's it's super bass by Nicki Minaj because I don't actually have to sing. I just get to rap. <laughs> I kind of want to see you do that pregnant right now. Why am I saying that? You're right. I actually, um, you know, my friends are like, oh, we should go to KTV. And I'm like, can we do daytime KTV? Because I'm not going to drink anyway. So it'll be, yeah. Yeah, because you really have to do sober KTV and that's hard. Yeah. And finally, hmm. what are the other China-related sources of information that you rely on? So in our office right now, because we've had you know so many people stuck out, we actually have a bunch of empty desks. So I've had a couple friends who are journalists who are actually allowed to work from home but have children, so they need to be able to work from a place with no kids either. Um, so that's actually been like my recent source. I'm just like, what's going on in the world, guys? Do I need to know anything? But the other thing I've been doing for years is I have news alerts, so I get emails whenever um, something I'm interested in happens. Uh, usually I get like the weekly roundup. And that's great because then you can see coverage about the same stuff from everything from the New York Times to the Global Times. Most of my stuff is food-based that I'm interested in, so <laughs> shocking. Jamie, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I really learned a lot from you, even in the story behind the Bing that you gave, uh, which is still here. I've had three bites, <laughs> and I'm going to finish it off on the way home today. So the only thing left for me to ask you is, out of everyone who you know in China, who should I interview for the next season of Mosaic of China? So I think it would be great if you interviewed Emma Gao. She is the owner and the winemaker at Silver Heights Vineyard, which is in Ningxia, and it is a boutique uh, winery that is doing amazing things. Oh, that's one of the ones that you mentioned before with your favorite destination, right? Yes, yeah. She's just the most amazing woman, and the wine she's making is unbelievable, and she has great stories. Oh, wow. That's so wonderful. I'm so glad you mentioned her. I've never been to Ningxia, and now is the perfect excuse to go. Yes. Thank you again, Jamie. Anytime. First things first, here are a few clips from the premium version of today's episode. Please go to patreon.com slash mosaicofchina to subscribe. We got in, I think it was six hours before the border closed. Ooh. Yeah. There's another name for it. It's Yojiagui which is uh, basically a deep-fried ghost. It was a couple months before my wedding, and it got shut down. And then never saw any of them again. He invented genbang, balza, and landmines. <laughs> You're like, well, he wasn't all good. The happiest updates first. Jamie has indeed given birth since she recorded this episode. I've included a photo of new mother and little Hamish, both looking gorgeous, on social media. And the other happy news is that listeners to this show can include the code MOSAIC10, that's MOSAIC10, or one word, when booking any tour on untourfoodtours.com and enjoy a 10% discount. The code is valid until the end of 2021 and also covers the new Koreatown tour, which includes all the best-kept secrets of Korean restaurants, bars and shops in Shanghai. The saddest update is with Austin Hu, who passed away suddenly since we made this recording. Austin was the person behind Jamie's favorite place to eat or drink or hang out in China, Heritage by Madison, which was incidentally the same answer given by Michael Z from episode 7 of last season. 
I never met Austin, but I only heard the best things said about him, so I did want to include this small tribute, especially since I know he and Jamie were also close. Lots of other photos there too, including Jamie's object, the Laopuo Bing, and the winter melon from which it's made. A cup of Hong Kong milk tea, one of the byproducts of the British influence there. Photos from food tours, as well as one of Jamie and her co-founder Kyle from the early days. Some photos from the street food served at her wedding. Some of the foods she mentioned from the tours in Beijing and Shanghai, including those rabbit heads. And a whole lot more. Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, with artwork by Denny Newell. Stick around for a shortened version of my catch-up interview with Lexi Comstock from episode 20 of season 1. And I'll see you again next Tuesday for the last episode of 2020. Lexi! Hello! Here you are. I can't believe you are sitting in front of me. I know. I made it back. Well, what the hell was your coronavirus story? It was pretty wild. I left for Christmas for an extended kind of time back in the States with my parents. Okay. And my sister, actually. And then corona happened, and I've been out of China since then, which is insane. I got back two and a half, three weeks ago now. I did the two weeks in quarantine. I think you're in this wave that has come back since September, but it hasn't been immediate, right? No, a lot of people gave up. <laughs> like, I think people were like, okay, I guess this is a good time just to move. Yeah, it was very mentally taxing to just have the uncertainty of the flight situation. The rules were changing constantly, constant anxiety. What about your dog? That's the main thing. Yeah, so I am very lucky that I have great friends and a handful of people took care of him for the bulk of the time, really like 10 out of the 11 months, was my friend Pei, who did an incredible job with little Mario. And Mario and I will go see him every week just to make sure that Pei gets his Mario time because they really bonded. It was really cute. Ugh. So what was it like to meet him then coming back? Incredible. He was so excited and it was honestly one of the happiest moments of my life. And then the business. So Strictly Cookies. Yeah. It continued with you gone. I have an amazing team and they all really stepped up and credit to them they just they nailed it but what it does say to me is this is a litmus test for you to show that actually you don't have to be here you actually could be overseas and life would go on with the company so was that kind of liberating for you at the same time it was it was funny because I actually did better work when I was away um and I don't think it was because I was like so nervous that everything was going to fall apart I think it was it allowed for a nice separation that gave good perspective on things. And as crazy as it was to be living with my family for six months, it was really nice. Having lived abroad for 10 years, it felt incredibly special. I think that's going to be a bit of a theme to these catch-up interviews that I do with people who have come back. Yeah. And then now you must be seeing Shanghai with new eyes almost. Absolutely. So a year and a half ago, a year ago even, I was very much like, I need a plan. I need to know where I'm going to be in the next month. Now I'm a lot better with uncertainty and just kind of going with it and just letting things unfold. It's yes. really, it's honestly, it, it's a massive, massive change for me. But I do think it was a good life lesson. Just you don't have a lot of control and you just have to kind of make the best of it. Yes, absolutely. I'm I'm nodding fervently because I just know that anyone who was more a control freak now has to be less. Oh so. my gosh, yeah. <laughs> you really can't. It, after the first like two months, I was like, okay, I guess I really have no control over anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah. 
And the things that you said that you would miss if you left China, you said you would miss the most was okay. Jen Bing, and yeah. you would miss the least was the construction noise. Yep, that still holds. Yeah? When I got yeah, when I got in, that was the first. I think that was the first <laughs> thing I ate. I woke up early, left quarantine, and got a Jen Bing. That was it. Number yeah, one. Number one for sure. <laughs> I love Jen Bing. And of course, we are going to be releasing this update at the same time as the episode of Jamie Barris, who is the person who you recommended for season two. Yes. So have you been in touch with Jamie? Oh my God. Yeah, we're very close. (laughs) Yeah. So I saw her the other day. She just had a baby. Yes, she did. Little Hamish. Honestly, seeing her, seeing my friends, I still haven't seen, I mean, I really just got out of quarantine a week ago. Yes. And I'm still- You're fresh out. Yeah, really fresh out. Um- I really want to go to cages. My friend, I have a friend, Dalton. I haven't seen him yet. And I, I feel like he'd be down. Maybe I'll just send him this podcast and say, wait till the end. <laughs> I'm inviting you to cages. Yeah. Nice. 